We've been in a series entitled, The Me I Want to Be. The Me I Want to Be. I, I, there are things in my life. Did y'all brighten up my lights on me? Is it just me? Do I look brighter to y'all? I feel brighter. I just want to be happy. There are things in my life that I am really tired of being a part of me. It's not that I'm a bad person. I like to think I'm a fairly decent person. I like to think I'm a good father and a good friend and a good husband and a good pastor. But if I'm being honest with myself, there are things in my life that I don't want there anymore. There is a version of myself, God's best, best version of me, that I am striving for. We've been reading from the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 10. I'm going to back up to verse 8 today. We'll read a couple of verses here. Here's what he says. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. Say masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. We recognized last week that we are God's masterpiece. But the problem is, there are these, in keeping me from being the me that I want to be, there are all of these rival me's, these other sides of me that are trying to hold me back and keep me from being the best version of myself, which is what God created me to be. He had a plan for you. He designed you. He wanted you a certain way. But there's the me I pretend to be. There is the me that I think I should be. There is the me that others want me to be. There is the me that I'm afraid God wants me to be. And there, there's the, there is the me that I fail to be. And they're always pulling at us and vying for our attention and vying for our focus and trying to get us to be them rather than the me that God wants us to be. I love this verse, Proverbs 11 and 28. A life devoted to things is a dead life, a stump, but a God-shaped life is a flourishing tree. You were designed to flourish. And then we talked about this realization that God isn't trying to exchange you for one of these other me's. He's not ex trying to exchange you to be something else, but he's trying to redeem you and make you the best version of yourself. Read a story. Young Shauna, four years old. She was the epitome of a strong-willed child. She had places to go and people to see. She was outside giving her mama fits one morning, riding her tricycle, and she wouldn't act right and she wanted to go everywhere so finally her mama said to her Shauna I've got to go inside and do some work so there's a driveway right here and there's a tree right there and there's a sidewalk in between you can ride your tricycle from the from the driveway to the tree but don't go beyond it and if you do I'm going to give you a spanking parents you ever had a conversation like that had a number of them in my life she said, now I'm going inside, but I'm watching through the kitchen window, and if I see you go beyond that, I'm going to give you a spanking. Shauna, without even hesitating, she just backed herself up to her mama and pointed to her spanking zone. 
four years old, and she said, well, you might as well spank me now because I've got places to go. <laughs> Strong-willed, motivated, places to go, pioneer things to accomplish. Shauna grew up to be an incredibly successful businesswoman that was driven and passionate and bucked the trends and created new things. Why? Because God put something in her that as a four-year-old came out to, you might as well spank me now because I'm going places. But as an adult, God didn't take that away from her. He redeemed it and used it to do great things in her life and in her world. That's what God wants for us because we are his masterpiece. He didn't look at you. And, and create you and, and look at the problem and go, mm, well, I really messed up on that one. Well, I missed it right there. He, di he didn't look at old Gabriel, the angel, and say, man, let's blame this one on the devil right here because I didn't. No, you were his masterpiece. 1501, Michelangelo was commissioned to build a sculpture. So he looks at this six-ton block of marble. And for over two years, he chisels, and he chisels, and he chisels, and he, and he carves, and then he polishes, and then he chiseled, and he carved, and he polished. And for over two years, he worked on this six-ton block of marble. But in 1504, they unveiled a 17-foot-tall statue of King David that ranks in history by most experts as the greatest sculpture of its kind of all time. But you know what? Michelangelo didn't do that in five minutes. You don't create a masterpiece in five minutes. It takes time. So you know what I recognized? I may not quite be the me I want to be yet, but God's working on me. He's chiseling, and he's carving, and he's polishing, and he's working on me. God's working on you. You're here today, and God's working on you. You're watching online this morning, and God's working on you. And he's chiseling, and he's carving, and he's polishing. Some of us are in the chiseling phase. That one doesn't feel very good. Others of us are in the polishing phase. That feels kind of nice, but we're all somewhere in the process as God is making a masterpiece out of your life. What we recognize is there's the me I want to be, but as I push away the other versions of myself, the rival me's that are vying for my attention, I recognize, and I'm honest with myself, there is a me that I am. There's a, there, this is the version of me that I am today. So there's the me I am, but over here is the me I want to be. The problem that we have is this gap in the middle. I'm not here yet. I'm way over here. I'm trying to act like this, but I'm really that. My family wants me to be this. I feel like all my friends want me to be that. I expect myself to be this. And yet I'm really over here. 
And there's this gap in the middle. Jesus said in John 10, 10 that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. God's purpose is to get you here, rich and satisfying, or life and life more abundantly. But the thief's purpose is to try to keep you back here as much as you can, as he can. If you can imagine, you're trying to strive and the enemy is pulling you back. You're trying to move forward, and yet the enemy is yanking you down. He's tripping you. He's untying your shoes and tying them together so you can't walk. You ever feel like you're trying to get somewhere, but just the devil won't let you get there? I know I have. I can look at seasons of my life, windows, if you will, where I could tell that God was trying to do something in my family. And yet at the same time, the devil was working overtime to not let me get there. You know, I, I'm, I'm pretty much convinced that the devil is always out to get me in any way that he can. Little stuff to big stuff, he's trying to get, keep me from being there. But then there are times when he just decides, you know what? You know when you're driving down the road, you're driving down the highway, you drive from here to Houston, you're going to see a police officer somewhere, right? But towards the end of the month, they start setting up speed traps. You ever got caught in one of those speed traps? And they're everywhere. And, and these guys, and they're doing a good job. I'm not upset with them, but they're out to get me. They are looking for me. Not that I would ever speed. There, there are times in my life when I am convinced, well, the devil's always out trying to give me a ticket in life, trying to throwing me in jail, trying to back me up. But there are seasons when he is absolutely saying, we are going to put extra demons on his life to try to get him down. Why? Those seasons normally coincide when God is working extra hard to get me to be the me I want to be. So what do we do with this gap? What do we do with this problem? Well, we get caught up in this cycle. We're here and we want to be here. So the first thing that we do is we try harder. How many of you have ever said to your kids or an employee or been told, well, you just need to try harder? I agree. There are times in life we just need to try harder. We're not putting in any effort. We're not even making an attempt. And we're complaining about our problems. There are times in life when we need to try harder. But the harder we try what happens is we hit this thing called lag time where we try harder but you cannot exert a hundred percent of effort all the time at some point you go man i just need to breathe for a second can i just relax for a minute right for instance most of you walked in this room but what if every time your feet hit the ground you had to sprint to the next place By the time I got to lunch, I'd be like, guys, I'm, I'm tapping out. Because at some point, we get to this place where we try harder, but then the next step comes in, we hit fatigue. We're tired. It is exhausting, always trying harder. 
always pushing. i got to do one more thing. I've got to get one more attempt in there. I, I've got to do this thing right. I've got to add one thing to my schedule. If I want to be better at this, I've got to spend more time with that. But then I don't really have it, so I've got to just create it, and I'll sleep less or whatever it might be. So we get exhausted. Well, after exhaustion, after fatigue, we quit. We give up. We say, I, you know, I just can't do it anymore. I've been trying. I've been trying to the point of exhaustion, but I'm tapping out. So we quit. But it doesn't take long. We quit trying. Things start going to hell in a handbasket, as my father used to say. What happens next? We start feeling guilty. I was doing good, then I got tired, then I quit. And now look what happened, and it's all my fault. So what do we do? Try harder. And the cycle goes again and again and again and again. You want to be a better Christian, what you have to do is get up at 4 a.m. and pray for an hour. All right, I get up at 4 a.m., can't even see straight, not a morning person, my wife don't like me, my kids don't like me, Jesus doesn't even like me at 4 a.m. in the morning. But I'm afraid because that's what it takes to be a good Christian. So I slur through my words. I doze off a few times. I drink a couple of sparks and coffee that I don't even like, and I'm trying to pray. I do that on day one. By the time I get to work, you'd think after an hour of prayer, my employees would like me. They're looking at me going, what is wrong with you? <laughs> I've been praying all morning. Really? You need to stop. <laughs> Anybody else not a morning person in here? <laughs> Okay, my people, I like you. <laughs> so what do you do? You get up the next morning. I'm going to discipline my way through this, right? So I'm going to 4 a.m., alarm clock goes off, and you're like, where am I? You know, and you go at it again, and Lord, help me, Jesus. Jesus, waiting on you. Waiting on you. Day two, I get to the end of the day. It's 8 o'clock at night. My favorite show's just now coming on. I've got to do math, algebra with my seventh grader. The numbers are coming in together like this. We're fighting. What are we fighting about? I don't even know. We're just at each other's throat. Why? Because I was getting up in the morning in an attempt to make my day better. I was going to pray for an hour when I ain't even built that way. Some of you guys love to pray at 4 a.m. in the morning, and God bless you. You know what? I am much better off praying at night. I'm much better off praying at night. Me and Jesus get along really well at night. He's, he's like, Randon, I've been waiting on you to get in the right mood all day. Let's talk. And I'm like, I'm ready to have a good time, Jesus. But eventually, if you want me to get up at 4 a.m. every morning to pray for an hour, I'm exhausted, and I'm going to quit. Then I'm going to feel guilty. Ah, I'm supposed to be a good Christian. I'm supposed to be a pastor. i got to do this thing. i got to pray for an hour. I can't even do it. So then we try harder. We just keep going around and around and around. I'm going to fix my marriage. Things are going not well, and i got to be a better husband. i got to be a better wife, and I, I, need, to, I need to put her in, in front of other things in my life, and, and I'm gonna, I'm, we're going to do this thing. 2017 is going to be the greatest year of our marriage. Can I get an amen, husbands? Amen. Yeah, over there, we got it. All right, I like it. His wife's saying, take it down a notch. Don't tell anybody anything. 
Everything is good. So we try harder, right? Because we're the men of the house. We're the leaders of the family. Everything starts with me. If we want change in this family, change starts with me. So I'm going to try harder. When there is, a, when there is uh, some type of lack in our family, I will be the one to take it on. I'll fix the problem. I'll do more. But then we're exhausted. Now we're back to treating everybody the way we used to, even when we're trying not to because we're just exhausted. So what do we do? Quit. This ain't even worth it. Worth it. I, I mean, things are worse off now than when they started. I was better off just nonchalant. Me and my wife were better off never talking than trying to go on a date every Friday night because we fight every time. So what do we do? We quit. And then we feel guilty. marriage is not good again and it's my fault so what do I do try harder do you see it do you recognize it well I could point to multiple areas of my life right now where this is going on try harder exhaust myself quit feel guilty and start all over again you see this gap here in the middle is a difficult one and we can get caught up here trying to fix this gap, but we'll never get the job done. So I'm going to give you two ways today to close the gap. Ways to deal with the gap. Ways to fix the gap in your life. You're here. You're trying to get here. Some of you good people, your gap's really small. Right? You're just good people. We say we love you. We don't. I'm kidding with you. Some of us are over here. We're way over there. The gap is so huge, it seems insurmountable. So what are we going to do? We've got to close the gap. Wherever you are on the scale today, I'll give you two ways that the Word of God promises us you can close this gap. You can change your life for the better. You can be the me I want to be. Would you like to know him? I think we ought to pray for just a moment. Not for those people over there. We know where we are. Those people that think they're over here. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your presence here today. Lord, I feel you today. We're here and we're having a good time and we're loving you, but you're working on us right now. I feel you speak into my heart and illuminating places in my life where you want to work on my behalf, where you want to close the gap. And for so many of my great friends here today, Lord, I, I thank you that you're going to help us in the next few minutes through the power of your word and the power of your Holy Spirit. Do something great. Open our hearts, our minds, and our spirits to hear from you and to be challenged by the power of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. First way is very simple, and I go back to Ephesians 2 and 8, and I want to remind you of a principle. Ephesians 2 and 8 said that God saved you by His grace when you believed. Here's what he's saying. No matter how hard you work, you could not close the gap between you and God. There is a gap when on your best day, you couldn't get there. I'll give you a for instance. We tend to think of sinners in levels. Way down here, 
We have the, ver- the worst sin you could think of. You name it. Um, murder. Um, child sex trafficking. Would, that, uh, would something like that be on the top of the list with you guys? Then you go up to the next level. And then you have, you know, I don't know, extreme drug addictions and, you know, theft and cheating people and just fraud, whatever your levels are. Then we come on up here and you got a few people and, you know, they're not horrible, bad people, but, you know, they have a lying problem. They don't mean to. They just, they start out telling the story. The story isn't going well, so they just start lying. They tend to skew the facts to fit their narrative and to get what they're wanting. But they're really not bad people. Their heart is good. Then you come up here. Here's the church folks up here now. But there's that whole gossip thing going on. Y'all wouldn't know anybody like that, right? All the gossip is like, oh, yeah, you know, she's like this. (laughs) I get you. Then we have all the really saved people over here that are trying hard every day. And we think somehow that if I can get here, then I've done my job. The problem is, if you can imagine with me, salvation is way up there. And it doesn't matter if I'm here or all the way on the floor, I can't touch the ceiling. I can't get there. I'm going to need a ladder of some sort. No matter which level I'm on, I am going to need a ladder to get there. That ladder is the grace of God. We have all sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God. So I don't care which level you're on today. I don't care which high horse you're on today. You need the grace of God to close the gap. So it looks like this. If you'll put my graphic up, guys, there is God and then there is me. But the bridge in between is the grace of God in your life. And this is what Paul is saying. I can't boast in it. I can't sit here and be proud about how I've achieved salvation because I didn't achieve anything. All I did was say, Lord, I need your help. I need, I'm believing in you and I'm asking you to come into my heart and fill me with your love and your grace and salvation. And he did just that. I didn't do anything. He did it because of grace. But what's interesting here is we were not just saved by grace, but God wants us to live by grace. Grace isn't done the moment you receive salvation, but grace is actually just getting started. Grace isn't finished once you become a member of the church, but grace is just ready to do something in your life. Grace is not just the bridge between the me I am and the me I want uh, and, and the God in me, but it's the bridge between the me I am and the me that I want to be. Grace bridges. The gap, just like it does between me and God, grace bridges the gap between where I'm at and where I want to be. You need the grace of God to get there. You need to take the pressure off just a little bit. You can't get there on your own. You need the grace of God. I love what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 5. That experience, and and he just had an amazing encounter with God, got caught up into the third heaven, he's hearing things, he's seeing things from the presence of God, unbelievable. Here's what he says about it. That experience is not worth boasting about, but I'm going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I will boast only about my weaknesses. Well, that's odd. 
He's boasting about the gap. If I wanted to boast, I would be no fool in doing so because I would be telling the truth, but I won't do it because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message, even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God. So to keep me from being proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from being proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. And each time he said, my grace is all you need. I'm trying to be this other person over here, but there is a thorn in my flesh as he described it, a gap for the purposes of our sermon today. There are things pulling me back and not allowing me to get where I want to go, and yet Paul, after having this incredible encounter with God, he has a direct contact with the presence of God. Three times he says, Lord, can you just take it away? And God says, hey, no, my grace is all you need. I want you to know something today. I don't know where you are. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know if as I'm preaching this sermon today, you're thinking about your own personal walk with God or your own personal feelings and emotions and mindset. I don't know if you're thinking about your marriage or your kids or your job or your business or what you might be thinking about. But here's what I want you to know. His grace is all you need. New King James, His grace is sufficient. It's enough for me. It's all I need. I need the grace of God to bridge the, gra the gap. So just like I've got God in me and, and grace bridging the gap, I've got the me I want to be and the me that I am. And grace is bridging the gap. Maybe you're in the room today and you feel like you have run out of grace. You need some fresh grace your life. You need some fresh grace to get through this week, to face the problems you're facing, to, to make it through. I want to speak a word over you that God is releasing more grace into your life because His grace is sufficient for everything you're going through. One more verse, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, said this, so let us come boldly to the throne of the gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. What area do you need the grace of God most in right now? Just receive grace. Just come boldly before the throne. When you wake up in the morning, say, Lord, I'm awake, and I need your grace. You don't, you don't have to come in begging and pleading. You come boldly. Lord, I'm here. I'm headed to work now. That boss that has been driving me nuts, going to need some grace today, Lord. You don't have to knock on the door of heaven and be like, um, Jesus, you know, um, you know, it's me again. Uh, do you remember who I am? Don't, don't forget about me. I, I really love you, and I know I haven't quite prayed like I wanted to, and I don't always do things right, but if you could just please have enough mercy on me and, and grant me this one last request, I'll never ask you again, Jesus, can I have a little grace? No! No! No, you just knock on the door of heaven, boom, 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 hey, Jesus, <laughs> it's me, yeah, me, I'm here again today for my daily dose of grace. That's how you ought to wake up every morning, come boldly before the throne. 
When your feet hit the floor, Rikita, tell them, good morning, Lord. I'm getting up for coffee and grace. How about you? The grace of God is all that you need in your life. Grace bridges the gap. But let's keep reading in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, because it gets even better. Because I don't want to just bridge the gap. I want to close the gap. Each time he said, my grace is all that you need. But he keeps on going. And my power works best in your weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Paul said, I got a choice here. I could boast in all of the signs and the wonders and the, you know, seeing the vision and all the great things I've done. And I I could boast in that, but that would be foolish. Instead, I'm going to boast in my weakness. I'm going to boast in the gap and say, you know what? I am weak. Why? Because in my weakness, that is what actually releases the power of God in your life. The stronger you think you are, the less you tend to think you need the power of God. And so Paul said, listen, if I've got to choose between being boasting about uh, what I've done and what God has shown me and not having the thorn, but also not having the power of God, or on this side, I don't boast in my strengths. I boast in my weaknesses. I deal with a thorn. I manage it. But yet, the power of God is working through me. Paul said, I'll take the thorn, but I'll take the power. What I recognize here is we need to change a perspective on this gap right here. We've got to change the way we view it. We've got to change the way we see it. This this weakness, this area where we're struggling and we're fighting and all these things, it isn't keeping God from working in your life. When you recognize your own weakness and say, God, I need your help, it actually releases the power of God in your life. You have access to something that the rest of the world doesn't have access to. You have access to do something great in your life. You know what? Sometimes we need to not quite try so hard. When I was a kid, I started playing golf. I was about 16. And I played golf mostly at Bayou Den out in LaBelle, which is right by where my parents grew up. And as a young male with a lot of testosterone and as a baseball player, I always felt like, see if I can not shatter my pulpit right here. I always felt like that the best way to hit a golf ball was absolutely as hard as you can. Any golfers in the room? So I would get to Bayou Den, and this was, this was you know, as a teenager all the way up uh, through college to when I was about 25, 26. And I mean, I would, just, I would just get here and, you know, I would just look down there and it's just 350, I got that right here. And I mean, I would just get here and ah! crushed it. Problem was, I was out of control. It might go straight. Pastor Dino, it might go three holes over. It was going to go 350 yards, but you didn't know which direction. (laughs) No one was safe on the course when I was driving. Now, here's the thing. At Bayou Den, and I love this course, uh, it's my home course, and so I love it. The thing about it is you can be three holes over, and the reason I just went as hard as I could is because I figured I could steal birdie from there. 
I still, it's wide open. I've got a clean sight right to the flag. I'll just, you know, pull out my wedge and stick it right to the, at the pin. I'll put it in. I'm out of here. So I wanted to be closer more than I cared where it went to. Well, then we moved to Beaumont, became campus pastors over here, and I became a junior member at um, Brentwood Country Club and started playing golf once a week. Well, the problem with Brentwood is it's about a, as wide as this section right here, and those sections are houses. <laughs> so I line up with my typical, you know, over here. Man, I got through one round of balls and I was broke. I couldn't afford any more golf balls. Hitting houses, knocking it all over the place. Suddenly, my score was terrible. It was costing me money. Why? I was facing consequences for trying too hard. Spraying the ball everywhere. So I'm going to have to do something different. Same golf club, same setup, same ball. This time I'm going to try softer. I'm going to let the club do the work. Golfers, you ever heard that? I'm going to let the club do the work. So now I get set. Boom. Right down the middle. Score started dropping. Within a year or so, I was a single handicapped golfer. Didn't last long, but I got there. But it started with, I decided I'm going to quit trying harder. I'm going to try softer. Let the club do the work. Wasn't exhausted when I was done with my round. Wasn't broke. Felt better about my life. Try softer. Try harder. Fatigue. Quit. Guilt. Sometimes we need to try softer. Grace. I need you, Grace. Jesus, I need your power. We let the club do the work. We let the power of God in your life do the work. Does it mean we, I still have to step up? I still got to swing? I got to still have to do some things, but trying harder is not always the answer. Sometimes it's trying softer and letting the power of God work in my life. I don't know where you are today. I don't know what's going on in your life, but do you need to let the power of God work more and you work less? Do you need to quit cursing your weakness? Talk about how terrible you are, how, how bad your life is, and start saying, Lord, I'm weak. <laughs> but here's the good news. When I am weak, then you are strong. Paul, Paul went on to say in, in 2 Corinthians 12, uh, just picking up in, in that verse where we left off, He said, next verse, verse 10. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults and in the hardships and in the persecutions and in the troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul said, I have had a change of perspective. 
I used to think the, the, the thorn was hurting me and keeping me from being who I'm supposed to be. But then I realized that without my weakness, God can't be released in my life. The power of God can't work in my life. So I changed the way I view the gap. The gap is not my problem. The gap is actually part of the solution to allowing the power of God to be released in my life. Stop cursing yourself, talking bad about yourself, how terrible you are, how much of a problem your life is, and start saying, Lord, I'm here today. First off, I need your grace. And secondly, you know I can't do this on my own, and even if I could, I wouldn't want to. But in my weakness, you were made strong. He said, when I am weak, then I am made strong. Got to recognize my weakness first. You need the power of God in your life, and he wants you to have it. One of my favorite verses, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The Holy Spirit wants to empower you. That's part of why he's here, to empower you, to make you stronger, to help you bridge the gap. One more verse here, and I'm going to pray for you, and we're going to close. Acts chapter 6, verse 8. Stephen, one of the first martyrs, actually, um, in Scripture. The Bible said this of him. Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. Stephen didn't do it on his own. But because he had the grace and the power of God in his life, miracles and signs followed him everywhere he went. Can I say this to you? And when we recognize the weakness in our life, we come to God and speak, God, I can't close this gap on my own. I need your help. Fill me with your grace. Fill me with your power. What's going to follow you are miracles. Oh, it may not always come in the form of cancer being healed or someone coming back to life. But that is not the only kind of miracle-working power that God wants to have in your life. I'm struggling with my marriage, and I've tried harder, and, I, and, and I've, I've exhausted myself, so I quit, and then I'm guilty. Okay, try this. God, I need your help. I need your grace, and I need your power. If you're in the room today, you're watching online, and you and your wife have been talking about divorce, or you've even been thinking of it in your mind, and God came in and began to heal your marriage and heal your relationship, and life began to be birthed out of that relationship, and your marriage began to flourish, you tell me that that wouldn't be a miracle from God. I'm struggling with my teenagers. They won't live for God. I can't get them to come to church. I know they're in all types of sin and blowing up their life, and I don't know how to help them. I have tried harder. I've yelled and I've screamed. I've been nice. I've given them, free, I've given them freedom and I've taken it away. I've done all I know to do. Try softer. God, I need your grace. And my kids need your grace. And when they're out there in a mess, God, save them from themselves. Help them. God, I need your power 
to infiltrate their room while they're sleeping and begin to work on their heart and work on their mind and work on their spirit and begin to change them from the inside out. You tell me, Mom, God got a hold of your son's heart, your daughter's heart, and brought them back into the kingdom of God. Their life turned around. Would you call it a miracle? Think miracles, healing. It is. So many kinds. And I want to encourage you today, and I'm, and I'm going to pray for you, that God would fill you with his power and his grace, and that everywhere you go, miracles would follow right along behind you. How many of you want to receive that this morning? God's, God's moving right now. I can feel him strong. Can I get you just to stand with me for a minute, if that's okay? Holy Spirit, fill us right now. Lord, there are many of us in this room today that though we have tried to be strong, your Holy Spirit has spoken to us and showed us our weakness, but we're changing our view of it right now. For in our weakness, then you are made strong. That's when your power can work through us. So Father, release your power in your people. Release your grace in your people, Lord God. I am declaring that miracles are going to begin happening this week. As we let you work, as we try softer, God, miracles are going to be released. From marriages, to families, to finances, to, to employment situations, to businesses, to health situations. God, whatever it is. Release your miracle power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.